Now I'm going to try to speak, and in a few moments you'll hear me yodeling. Uh, I have a very bad case of laryngitis, and I, it doesn't frustrate you half as much as it frustrates me. But I will do what I can with what voice I have. We're going to show a video now. There's some staff members that you see at a distance and maybe meet occasionally but don't know uh, the tremendous input that they have into the life and leadership of this church. And so uh, I want you to look at this and I want us to think about family. Family. We're all a part of the family of God. And we're here to celebrate the family of God. Christianity began in the home. It didn't begin in church. It began in a home. Jesus was born in a family, in a manger. That manger was home. Wherever Jesus is, he creates family, even a manger. You know, I, I know people who have a house but don't have a home. I saw a number of years ago an interview <coughs> on television on uh, homeless people. And it was describing the plight and predicament of homeless people. And the interviewer was talking to a 17 or 18 year old <coughs> girl whose mother and father was there and had a couple of younger uh, brothers and sisters. And the interviewer said, what is it like to be homeless? She said, oh, we've got a home. We just don't have a house to put it in. You have a house. You have a home. Jesus was born in a home. He grew up in a home in Nazareth. He built homes with his hands. And he's still building homes with his heart, with his love. Read your New Testament and you see countless meals and miracles formed by Jesus, attended by Jesus, celebrated by Jesus in homes. The last night of his earthly existence, facing the cross, he spent it in a home with his family, his extended family his inclusive family, the family of God. I back up to read the passage of Scripture from the 14th chapter of Mark, beginning with the 12th verse. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb was being sacrificed, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room 
which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready and prepared for us. And the disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. Family. The last night on earth, before his resurrection, Jesus spent it in the home. John Mark's home, in all probability. The upper room was probably in the home of John Mark. Tradition says so. There's some good biblical indicators that would confirm that. He may have helped prepare the room and then later wrote these words. It was a home. And he took the Passover. They shared the Passover and then instituted the Lord's Supper. This is very important. The last Passover is the way the paragraph is headed in my New American Standard Version. The last Passover and then in the 22nd verse, the Lord's Supper. You see what was happening here? They observed the Passover. Family means a recognition of tradition. Family means we remember where we've come from. Tradition can be a terrible hindrance to progress if misused. It can also be, if properly used, great guidelines for tomorrow. There are certain values. In fact, I prefer the word virtues over values because values are subjectively determined. Virtues are objectively expressed. Interesting, isn't it? William Bennett's book is not the book of values. The book of virtues. Go back and read and study a little bit about virtues. You've got the classical virtues of Plato and Aristotle, and then the virtues of the Judeo-Christian tradition, and then the virtues that we have seen applied to us and should be applied to us in the continuing revelations in the New Testament of virtues that are unchanging and everlasting. We need to remember where we've come from. We need to remember as a church where we've come from. Tradition, a recognition of respect for those who have gone before us, a sense of history. There is also here in this experience in the upper room a creation, tradition and creation of a new communion, of a new testament, a new common union what the word means. People who come together because of a common commitment to Jesus Christ and the basis of their union is Christ. What makes us a family is not that we all have the same amount of schooling or we're, that we're the same color or speak the same basic language or that we have the same political views interpretations of the past, present, and future. 
what joins us together is one fact and one fact alone, and that is commitment to communion with one person, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the center of our being. He is the one who holds us together in union. My hand, all five fingers are different, different size, different shape, different use, but they are in union, working together, not unified, but in union, working together under the direction of the head of the body to work that which needs to be done in the world. Christ is the head of the body. We are the various members of the body, different, unique, creative, because he has come to create a common union, to create family. But it doesn't stop there. In the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, <clears throat> excuse me, beginning with the 19th verse, man, he walked out of that upper room after having a celebration of the past and an institution of the present and future through this new communion, this new common union. And he went to the cross, he died, he was buried, and he rose. And he came back to the same room in a home, the same room where they had celebrated the Passover, instituted the Lord's Supper. They now experience resurrection. The reality of resurrection. And therefore it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Family means in your home and in my home and in our church home, a celebration of tradition a common experience of union together in Christ and a confirmation through the resurrection presence of the Lord speaking peace to our hearts. The first church in Europe when the gospel began to be spread in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, the first church was a home, the home of Lydia, a businesswoman, the first convert following her, a girl who was possessed by an evil spirit following her, a Philippian jailer, all becoming members of the church at Lydia's house. Church always begins at home. Paul compliments Nymphus in the fourth chapter of Colossians in the 15th verse. Give my regards to Nymphus, Paul says, and the church that is in her house. Do you have church at your house? The strength of this church is not just the strength of this grand fellowship of people who come together this family to worship and to study and to share and to pray and to sing and to give. The strength of this church is the strength of the church in your house, in my house, and in God's house. Where's the First Baptist Church in San Antonio? 
Where's the First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio? You're picturing those places in your mind, aren't you? I'd like to change the picture. You know where the First Baptist Church is? First, not in quantity, but quality. Not numerical precedence, but qualitative evaluation. The first church is your home, your house. Jesus begins at home. And so we have here in this marvelous revelation in this passage of Scripture, resurrection. What else happened in that home? What else happened in that upper room? What else is to happen in your home and mine and this church house? This church house. Inspiration through prayer and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. It happened in the home, in the upper room. Inspiration. The internalizing of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Not just an objective historical reality, but an internal empowering of your own heart and mind and spirit and the fullness of his spirit. Inspiration. Christianity is intended to get inside of us. That's why we're going to eat and drink in a moment. It's a symbol of ingesting and digesting the person of Christ by faith. The doctor can prescribe medicine for you. You can pick it up at the pharmacy. You can have it in your hand. You can know the name of it. You can know the doctor who prescribed it. But if you don't take it internally, it's not going to do you any good. We know the Bible. We know the cross and the resurrection. And we hear the words, the Holy Spirit. These are not just objective descriptions. They're to be internal motivations. Inspiration, the Holy Spirit. And then fifthly and finally, communication to the world. commission. And after singing a hymn, they went out. Boy, did they go out. Did they go out? They went out to the whole world. And we are in because they went out. We're in the family of God because the early family of God went out. Here in this one room, in this home, we find the five ingredients that are to be characteristic of my home and of your home. Tradition, creation, communion, resurrection, inspiration, communication. I don't know. But I imagine, probably without any question whatsoever, that the vast majority of you in this room right now came to accept Christ as your Savior because of your home.
of a mother, a father, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a home, right? And if not that home, you found Christ in the family of a church, in a church home. There are a number of people in this church that I know, probably many more that I don't, that I don't know, who are the only Christian in their family. They do not have these qualities in their home. They would like them there. They're praying that God would use them to embody them in such a way that it will reach that family. But where they found family, they found it here in a Sunday school class, in a prayer group, in a Bible study group, in a corral, in a mission ministry, in a youth group, family. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. So now we're going to come to celebrate a family meal instituted by our Lord himself in that upper room with all of the ingredients and many more that I have not had opportunity or time or voice uh, to mention. At this juncture, I want to say that if you are a Christian, whether you are a Baptist kind of Christian or not, whether you are a member of a Baptist church or a Methodist church or Episcopal church, wherever, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or if you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to accept him and to share in this communion this morning. We are inclusive in this family. I do not I do not remember who the cynic was who said home is where they where home is where they where when you come there they have to let you in. I didn't have a home like that. We don't have a home like that. We don't need a church home like that. Home is where, when you have to come, we want you in. We'll run down the road figuratively to meet you. And this morning, in the early service, two adults, a man and a woman, both accepted Jesus as Savior, internalized him by faith, and then represented that personal experience by sharing in communion. They had communion first in their heart with Christ and then with us and then came forward to share it. Maybe some of you in this room would do the same in a few moments. Or maybe you're a member of a church somewhere else. Some other church and you want to be a part of this fellowship. What do you have to do? Let me tell you, we've already adopted you. All you have to do is just come on. Come on in. Now, I don't know how you... Uh, deal with this. I, we've talked about this in staff meetings some, and I, I don't know what the right thing is to do. So I'm going to, about, you have your children with you today. I wish you could have been here. Did you, did you see the children, a whole bunch of little children, they bring them over to let them see what we do in this big church, as they call it. They were all crowded around that door back there, and uh, he was leaning down, looking in, thinking, what in the world is he doing up there? And, uh, 
they've all gone back over to Sunday school to play and to learn to pray. And uh, as I saw them, I, I thought of your children with you this morning. Some of them have not yet made a profession of faith in the Lord as Savior. And uh, they're going to wonder why they're being excluded. You don't let them have a little piece of bread or unleavened bread, that little wafer, or let them have that cup. Now, I'm not going to tell you what to do about it. Uh, I know what we did, I, and uh, I don't think I'd do that the same way, but I can remember when Michael, our oldest, was a little boy and not yet uh, a Christian, never had not accepted the Lord yet as his Savior that, that we knew about. Uh, and he was would sit with Mary Grace Williamson, and uh, of course Martha would be in, be in the choir, and I'd be up here, and uh, <clears throat> Mike would be out there with Mary Grace. And we'd, it was not Mary Grace's decision; it was our decision. We'd say, "Now, Mary Grace, you know, don't don't serve communion to him, uh, because we we don't want him to think that uh, that he's already a Christian, all that." And so. Uh, after the service, <laughs> after the service, Mike came up to us and he said, Ms. Williamson told me that you all said I couldn't have that little bread and drink that little cup. I said, I'll tell you what I found. I went back there to the room where they put all that together, where those fine ladies are, those nice ladies are, and I drank 23 of those cups. <laughs> He, he had a purple circle right there on his mouth, you know. That's the reason we don't use real wine. <laughs> but um, I, I don't know that that's the way to do it. I think maybe it can be used as a teaching method. Johnny White and I were over at the Dick Stahl's home early this morning with the family after Dick had gone to be with the Lord early early this morning. And Bubba was there, Bubba Stahl, their oldest son, pastor, as most of you know, at First Baptist in Bernie, and grew up in this church, has preached here, and just part of us. And uh, we love him and that family so very, very much. And uh, Bubba was saying, Buck, now where are you going to preach on? I said, Bubba, I don't know, because I've got a horrible voice. I want to do all I can with what I've got, and when I start losing it, well, I moved right on. And uh, he said, you know, I can remember sitting, when I was a little boy, sitting by Daddy, his words, sitting by Daddy in church when they had communion. And they passed a tray with the bread on it, with wafers on it. He said, they passed it right by me. They'd not give me any. And uh, he said, I'd nudge my dad, my daddy. I said, Daddy, why did they pass me by? He said, my daddy said, I give you peace of mind. And then Bubba said, he not only gave me a piece of that little wafer, he gave me a piece of his faith. Use it as a way to teach accepting by faith the bread of life. That's not the bread of life. He the bread of life. Teach by that cup that he is the living water, the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Use it. You make your choice. 
but we invite you to share in this moment of common union. The deacons, please stand. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember and we give thanks and we celebrate our union with you and with one another in this communion of the faith. In Jesus' name, amen. I read it again. I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance, in remembrance of him. The ancient prophet said he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. John tells us, and when they were come to the place, it's called Calvary. There they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, and said, Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king. This is the king. The king of all kings. So often words used to deride become the finest compliments paid. Often happen from scripture. The accusation of his enemies in derision, they said, he saved others. Himself he could not save. That's one of the brightest jewels in his crown. If he had saved himself, oh God, what a catastrophe for the world. Had he saved himself, he could not have saved us. He was wounded for our transgressions. 
bruised for our iniquities. No man, no man takes my life from me, he said. I lay it down of myself. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And the apostle continues as the deacon stands. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament, the New Covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we remember and give thanks for Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we celebrate and in whose name we recommit our lives. Amen. He took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And the scripture continues. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you eat bread and drink the cup, remember. I believe this one verse of scripture reaches far beyond the church family the first church in your home. Whenever you break bread at home, remember. Whenever you drink a cup of water at home, remember. When you eat bread at a restaurant, remember the bread of life. When you drink water at a fountain, remember the water of life. Whenever you eat bread. Whenever you drink from the cup, Christ has come to permeate all of life. Every meal, every home, every heart, every life. We ask, or I ask quite often, how often we have communion? When do we have it? Why do we not have it more? We have communion. Some churches have communion every Sunday. Some churches have communion once a month. Some churches have communion once a quarter. Some churches have communion only once a year. At the time of the Passover. But you and I are to have communion every day. At breakfast, communion. At lunch, communion. At supper, communion. Whenever you eat bread and drink the cup, remember the bread of life and the water of life. Whenever. 